0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: The Big Food Question is partnering with TD Bank on five special episodes about the resilience of small businesses in the face of a constantly shifting pandemic landscape. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.
2: So you don't, don't shun the, the, devil, the devil, devil with your rock and roll Lord knows no. that country music's gonna save we your soul
0: The devil wants groove in that rhythm And blues that sound It's gonna get you the
3: Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Souther T. And I'm Greg Benson. Hey, Greg, did you hear the news in New York yesterday? <laughs> Is there news in New York yesterday, Southern? I know you were out of town, so I just don't know if you heard. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, so Cuomo has resigned officially. Um, apparently it was a tearful um, session. I, I didn't get to see it. But someone told me that he was weeping. And, uh, I, you know, I don't think we have to go too far into this. Kind of good riddance to bad rubbish.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um, see ya. Don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out
3: um right uh, you know the last year of his uh, term has been uh, pretty fraught with lots of controversy um especially you know related to COVID. uh and i think uh i don't know i think is uh, and then of course everything with with these women who came forward with these allegations i think it's uh it's more than time for him to go uh and i do like to add in you know uh, that um we're not having a special session election to put someone else in there we're just moving down the chain of command and, and i'm stumbling on her name right now, but I can't remember it, but maybe the first female governor uh, of New York. She's stepping in for the
2: remaining year and change of his term. Excellent. I, I, I can't, I can't wait to not live in a state run by Andrew Cuomo. Um, (laughs) I, I don't know. I was kind of curmudgeon about this last year when everybody loved him. And, you know, there was still, there was still so much hateable shit about the guy. Yeah. And I did, I do, and I will maintain this. I think it's possible to like, that a person in charge is on television regularly speaking like an adult about a crisis and still think he's a piece of crap. I think it's possible to hold those two ideas in your head simultaneously. Yeah. And, and I will maintain that. Um, well,
3: yeah. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll move pretty smoothly into the, the term of uh, Kathy Hochul. I don't know if I'm pronouncing her name correctly, but.
2: Uh, not that uh, no, I, I've only seen it written down.
3: She's the successor. Uh, yeah. I haven't heard it said out loud either. He's the successor and, you know, move forward. And you're right. The, the guy, the guy did a lot of things that were sort of hateable, but because of his presence, I think that's a thing that catches us up a lot. You know, if, if you're visible and present all the time, I think that you just sort of somehow take on a, um, positive persona to people. So I don't think, why do you uh, think we
2: do the show once a week?
3: Yeah. Right. If we did it more, if we did it more. We might be too present. And visible. <laughs> Listen, anyway, that happened here in New York city. Uh, Damon's out in the desert somewhere. Um, Getting drawn by Stedman and riding around on Harley Davidson motorcycles, so he's not joining us today. Uh, but we'll certainly hear some good stories from him when he returns. But you've been away as well. You were in Asheville. Uh, talk about your time down there. What what went on down there?
2: At Asheville, North Carolina is a beautiful place. Uh, I've I've always gorgeous. wanted to go, and it's amazing. Um, so much good food, so much great hiking. Uh, the the bar and brewery scene there is unreal. It's just one of these like beautiful little. I, I really love the Blue Ridge Mountains. Um, I think it's it, it's it doesn't get the credit it deserves for being one of the most scenic pockets of the continental United States, and it's just this beautiful, fun, cool, funky little town that's just sort of nestled. Like we were the the, the place we were staying was a two minute drive from the Blue Ridge Parkway, which is one of the best drives in this entire mm-hmm. country. I maintain. Indeed. Yeah, I spent um, I
3: spent a pretty fair amount of time in a little town called Marion, right outside of Asheville. It's uh um uh, my best friend Todd has a farm there, and so we go down from time to time. He's down there right now, actually. It's just
2: it's just so it's so refreshing to to get out there and get up into the mountains and do some hiking and just be out in nature and then be able to come back and eat, you know, eat super well and drink super well. Um just qu- wanted to give a quick shout out to the, the awesome places we went, golden pineapple. Avenue M, Burial Brewing Company, Uh, special shout out to Crow and Quill for kicking out the seven people from Florida who said, and I'm quoting here, we're from Florida, so we're unvaccinated, expecting sympathy, and our response was, cool, get the fuck away from me, don't come into the bar, see you later. They were actually really good everywhere that we went about checking vaccine cards. Like, there was one, the first spot we went, a guy had to go back to the house and, take a picture of his vaccine card and come back because we didn't have it. And they were apologetic. And we were like, please don't apologize for this. I'm really glad that you didn't bend the rules for us. It makes me feel so much safer being in your bar. Right. No, agreed.
3: I, uh, you know, we're getting started with all that stuff here in New York. Uh, So it goes into um, official use on Monday. Um, But uh, meanwhile, several bars that I love have stepped forward to start the process already. Uh, So, so, you know, I, I, Said many times on the show throughout the past year that I haven't been out anywhere um, uh, in whatever now, 19 months. Uh, uh, I went to Bargoto on Sunday, uh, my, my church, uh, where they're checking everybody's Vax card. The room was full of 100% vaccinated people. It felt uh, somewhat normal, I will say with caution. Um, So, you know, people seemed happy. I think uh, the overall response from the guest was that uh, they felt safer, so they felt happier to be there. So uh, I'm glad to see it coming. I think it's the right thing to do, and I think it's going to be the way out of this mess.
2: It's it's amazing, And, and you're right. You do feel a certain extra sense of not just, you know, your own safety, but you feel like you can let your guard down a little bit and that you were not in a situation where, you know, you were going to accidentally put somebody else at risk, which is really kind of like the the insidious thing about this pandemic, right? It's like, you know, it's not necessarily your health, it's the health of others that you endanger the most when you take unnecessary risks. Yeah, um, exactly. But I also wanted to point out that Asheville, North Carolina is home to, I believe it bills itself as North Carolina's only... Uh, gas Station Beer Bar. which, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It is home of North Carolina's only Gas Station Beer Bar, which is, I'm sure, a hotly contested title. Um, we went there on Sunday and I'm just standing there getting beers and just... Oh, the only thing that I can think of as a former GM is like, how the hell do you get a liquor license for this? Like, how do you get a license for on-premise sales at a gas station? Not to mention all the people that were sitting outside by the pumps just openly chain-smoking, which was a lot of fun. But uh, we're we're there, knocking back some beers on a Sunday night, kind of trying to figure out what we're going to do with the the last few hours of our weekend. And uh, I got into a conversation with someone about uh, my (coughs) cat, who's a very, very fat boy named Sasquatch. And the bartender comes over and goes, overhears me saying this and goes, oh, are you guys going to the show tonight? And we say, come again? And she's like, I just heard you talking about Sasquatch. Are you going to the show? And we were kind of like, ma'am, is there some Sasquatch content that we need to be aware about that's happening in town tonight? Apparently, there was a show just 10 minutes away from where we were at an amphitheater down by the river of a man who puts on a Bigfoot suit and plays saxophone covers of popular songs and calls himself Squatch. That is amazing. It was incredible. And it was Squatch's birthday. Um, me describing it <laughs> won't do it justice. Uh, there's a lot of excellent Squatch content uh, on on my Instagram, which is 100proofgreg if you want to go and check it out. But it, it, it was... I mean, you know, he, he did everything that you would imagine someone in that position to do. You know, he did uh, Never Gonna Dance Again, uh, Moon Dance. He did the Cantina Bar song from Star Wars. It was it was just all exactly what you wanted it to be.
3: Incredible. And I'm just hearing that uh, this guy, Sasquatch, is also uh, just like our guest today, uh, a h- highly uh, viewed member of the TikTok community. Uh, welcome to the studio, uh, Sean Stuhl from Canada.
4: What's up, buddy? thanks for having me boys yeah Yeah, i've I've seen like as soon as you talked about sasquatch playing saxophone i was like oh yeah i've seen him he's he's pretty big on tiktok
3: um first thing first let's clear this up for the listener uh your canadian accent doesn't seem
4: right what's going on yeah i'm from the far west side of canada no uh i'm (laughs) (laughs) from I'm uh, a transplant from Australia. I've been here 15 years, um, but for some reason, my accent won't wane, regardless of how long it, uh, I'm here. So, yeah. I
3: think that's true of Australians and New Zealanders. Uh, you guys just don't let your accents go. Like, it doesn't matter how long you're here. You're just going to keep it.
4: it. It does seem that way. Like, my daughter doesn't believe that I have an accent. Like, she doesn't hear it, but all her friends say that I sound weird. So, it's interesting that that's the sort of case.
3: Right. Uh, so I brought you in kind of impromptu just based on what you said uh, on the chat screen that the, the listener can't hear that Saksquatch is in fact on TikTok and you are as well. We were going to talk about this anyway. So let's just jump right into it. You uh, have only been on TikTok for just over a year, right? You started kind of during the pandemic.
4: Yeah, I, I think I really started posting like late December last year. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, it's only it's only been like six months, seven, months, well, eight months now. Jeez, it's August.
3: Yeah. And you're some kind of crazy phenomenon. You've got like a hundred thousand <laughs> followers in in eight months or whatever. And and talk about TikTok a little bit and how it's helped you and why you why you give a shit about it.
4: I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say I'm a phenom. Um, no, it's it is interesting. I started off by I always sort of look at platforms and I'm always curious at how the consumer bites into information because I think it as industry people, um, as industry people, we need to sort of hear what the consumer says more than what our industry says. And so I post a lot on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn and everywhere else. And I was like, you know what, let's check out this TikTok thing. And when I first started, it was a lot of... 17 year old kids dancing and ad li- uh, like lip syncing and stuff like that. And then I started seeing some cocktails start flowing in there. And it was a lot of like college drinks and making stuff in coolers and big batches of sour key candies put into vodka and Bacardi and stuff. It was kind of crazy. And I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe time I just do, let's, let's just put out a couple of really like high end, like proper, like made classic cocktails. And it started really rolling really hard. And I think the first time I was like, oh man, this is going to work. This is this is actually kind of fun. Um, when I posted an old fashioned recipe and I never knew a whole state of a country could hate me as much as Wisconsin hated me after I posted that video. <laughs> That's
3: right. Oh, I remember this. Okay. So you posted an old fashioned and of course in America, in Wisconsin, the old fashioned is is it is its own thing really it it's doesn't really is. really it doesn't really line up to what a classic or a modern old-fashioned is um and people kind of went ape on you right
4: oh hard I, I honestly i don't i can't believe i've never been hated so much by a state um <laughs> so i i rebuttaled with a uh, wisconsin old-fashioned and then that just took me down in a rabbit hole of the craziness that is that drink and the regionality that it, it possesses throughout that state of like garnishes and different sodas and different base spirits. And yeah, it was it was kind of insane. It was a nice education and a nice sort of humbling experience having like all these Midwest people say, well, we go for a fish fry on Friday and then we finish with a soco old fashioned sweet uh, garnished with garnished with marinated mushrooms. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah, but that is legit. The sort of comments that I was getting about that cocktail.
3: Yeah, it's uh, it's its own thing. That's for sure. Apparently, um, here, in, here in America, Wisconsin is the number one consumer of Martell in the mm-hmm. world.
4: Like, that's <laughs> just crazy.
3: It, it is. Uh, I mean, you know, it's unique. Um, I, I love that that there are regional foods and regional. I don't know, you, everywhere you go in America anyway, there's a regional bag of potato chips. There's regional sodas in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that uh, if there are regional drinks, and apparently definitely there's this one, um, there is no, none that, is, that has more power and influence than, than the Wisconsin old-fashioned.
4: 100%. What,
2: what did you say that set them off so much? Did you just say that like, you know, anyone who makes it with anything other than whiskey is wrong? Or like, what did you, what did you do that so I badly literally, kicked the
4: I, I literally just did the cocktail. I, that was all I did. Like, I just did a modern, old fashioned, stirred up, uh, stirred on the rocks, um, simple garnish. And that's all it took. It is, it's, TikTok is a different breed of market compared to like Instagram and stuff because of the algorithms and everything. So, TikTok opens you up to a much bigger macro market um, than Instagram and Facebook does. So, it, it, it touches on people that you would never actually connect with on Instagram or Facebook. So it, it really, it was literally just, I'm going to show you how to make an old fashioned under a minute. Did an old fashioned. That was all I did. And uh, yeah, Wisconsin came after me hard.
3: Yeah. Uh, I can see how they would just come flying out of the woodwork. Um, so let's back up a little bit from your TikTok fame, 90, <laughs> 90,000 followers. And since December, um, Uh, and talk a little bit more about your, your history. Um, You've, you've written three books. You, you operate a a very well-known bar. You're, you're also a consultant. Um, Talk about, talk about some or all of that.
4: Um, I I came to Canada in 20, well, 15 years ago, like I said, and um, the cocktail scene in Canada was still, was very young and coming from Australia. um, Obviously we've had a cocktail scene there for a really long time. It's matured very quickly. Um, And so, in 2009, I took over Clive's in the shadow Victoria, which is where I am now. Um, I left there in 2013 to open up my own venue, little jumbo. Um, and as we all know in the industry, things don't always go the way you plan it. And so after that, I sort of got into the consulting game, helping out the industry here in Victoria that expanded 2019. I opened three, helped to open three venues in Singapore. And then obviously the pandemic hit. So I kept myself busy. So After the pandemic sort of went to to being being back open for venues and stuff, uh, the hotel asked me if I'd like to come and take back over Clive's. And Clive's has always been my baby, like being there for four years and taking it from a very obscure hotel lobby bar to, to one of the best at Tails and stuff like that it was a big legacy thing for me. So I talked to my wife and she's like, well, you know, you're really busy right now. Like you've got this going on and this going on. She's like, but you'd really be upset. You'd be so upset if you went back in there in six months time and it wasn't what you could have done. And I'm like, man, you're right. And so I took back over Clives and I've been lucky enough that we've been going full steam ahead apart from the odd sudden lockdowns here and there. Um, and I've built a really nice team there that have, have really jumped on board with the mantra of, of making Clive's a really great hotel bar again, not just in Victoria, but worldwide. And I've been really lucky. So with them and balancing off everything else I do, um, I've been fortunate enough The people in my life have helped me get to where I am right now.
2: That's amazing, man. And it's got, and it's, there, there is something kind of nice about that sort of homecoming moment, you know, of like, (laughs) I'm back. And, and especially after the whole massive reset that we all had, were forced to take really in 2020, was there, was there a a moment where you came back in and you are kind of like, you know, I, I feel like we've all worked in, in places and on projects where, you know, once you finally get a chance to push away from the table, usually after it's it's done and it's up and running and it's out in the world and you kind of think to yourself, you get some perspective like, ah, shit, that's what I should have done with that. Like, did you have any of those moments coming back in where you're like, OK, like I've, I've, I've got it now. I've got I, I can now that I have a, a new perspective, I can take like a fresh crack at this and really kind of make it at its at its optimal way
4: that it wants to be yeah I think as you get uh, as you get older, you start looking at things a little bit differently. so we have 200 seats at Clive's. We're a very busy high volume cocktail bar um we only have two bartenders on on a Friday and Saturday night okay oh, and we have fifty cocktails on the menu and so we don't have bar backs or anything like that. Um, my team is very very tight but we we run three servers, two bartenders and myself on a Friday and Saturday night. And it is just go, go, go from the time you walk into the time you leave. Um, so having that in mind of how to do elevated cocktails, still a really high-end presentation and everything else that you try and achieve when you, when you do a cocktail bar. I think I came into Clive's really, in my head, thought out exactly where I'd like to see it go for the next five years and... Um, that that was the big one for me. Is like I took a breath, I looked at what everybody else was sort of doing in town, and I was like, "How do I redefine what Clives is?" Is like Clives was the one of the very first cocktail bars in my city, so that's a that's a big undertaking, a big thing to sort of take back over. Um, and so that was a that was a big deal for me. And so I really I think I went in with it just in my head exactly where we wanted to go, and just sort of instigated a plan and wound it up, and away we would go.
2: Well, so I wanted to I wanted to ask about that because you also uh, told us be, before the show that you wanted to talk about small city cocktail culture, and you just mentioned that Clives is one of the one of the first cocktail bars uh, in, in, in its in its town. And I don't want to. You said small city cocktail culture. I didn't. I don't want to make this into the next Des Moines, Iowa, where I don't think any of us from the <laughs> show are allowed to go. Katie
3: Mosman Wadler is going to Des Moines, Iowa, next week. She
2: cannot bring any of her HRN swag with her. They it's will an HRN kick assignment. Her out of town. She's it's an HRN assignment. Oh, seriously? <laughs> yeah. Oh man, she's gonna have to travel under an assumed name or something. I told
3: her I told her to beware that I have probably uh, angered the
2: entire town of Des Moines. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, I, I wanted to ask, like what what was what is that like, sort of setting up shop in a place that doesn't have this
4: established culture and kind of getting a chance to almost be that culture and and set it up. Um, I always tell the story to the kids and I, I'm going to say kids because most of these guys are not even mid thirties yet. Um, I've been lucky enough, fortunate enough that all the venues that I've opened and helped open and consulted on in Victoria, about I would say about 80% of the bartenders in Victoria that are in cocktail joints have either worked with me, trained by me or have had some sort of like element of my venues put into them, I suppose. Um The beautiful thing with having a small city cocktail culture is that you can really connect with everybody, whether it be bartenders and guests. And in 2009, coming from Australia, I worked at a a franchise restaurant for a number of years before I took over Clive's. I knew it could be possible because I saw it happen in Australia. Like I started working in Australia in the cocktail scene in 1998, 99. So I saw it all start, and this was before social media, before the internet, before everything. So it it, it was a little bit different back then. You had to go to bookstores and buy a bunch of books every single time to try and keep your knowledge up. Um, but I remember in 2009, and I talked tell the kids a lot. Like when I took over Clive's in the May of 2009, we really didn't start seeing people understanding cocktail culture in Victoria till like October 2010, and there was a really long like sixteen months for me, because uh, I'd work by myself uh, on a Saturday night, no servers, no nothing, and ring out like hundred twenty-five dollars in sales. If it was Oof. an independent restaurant, it would have like it would have never worked. Um, but being in a hotel lobby and trying to get that uh, that over people over that hotel lobby mentality as well, that hotel lobby bar mentality. Um, this is when the Savoy just started getting really big again and Conaut and all this sort of stuff. And so I talked to these guys. I'm like, you guys don't even know what hard nights are. Like imagine spending like hours and hours prepping menus and getting stuff ready to go for this big cocktail thing that you're trying to achieve. And then you walking at home with like 25, 30 bucks in your pocket and tips at the end of the night for right. 16 months, knowing that this is going to eventually stick. And so... I think the key to our success here in Victoria is that we're all a big family. And I know that that's always sort of cliche to say, but there's guests that have been following me and drinking at bars that I've run or or managed uh, for almost 15 years now, you know? So I look at it as like, well, we've built this sort of community where the guests are treated the same way as bartenders are like guests will sit down and there'll be a shot of Fernet in front of them. And so and guests like that sort of mentality. We have guests come to industry seminars and guests come to industry events. and it's just a really great scene that we sort of built mainly because we're small. We, we remember everybody and everybody sort of gets that connection.
3: Yeah, I was about to say the same thing. You, you, that, that certainly that mentality of, of sort of the guest feeling um, I don't know invited or empowered enough to show up to industry events that surely has is hinged on the fact that the, the, that the market is so so small, right?
4: Mm-hmm. Like everybody,
3: everybody feels like we're part of this.
4: Yeah. And so I've always had a rule too that if we do an industry seminar during the day and I tell this to brand ambassadors, we do the exact same seminar at night for free for guests um, at, at the bar. And so you have this guest knowledge and experience aligning exactly at the same time with a young bartender or bartenders in general in town. So you're educating the guest almost – in the same vein as you're educating the bartenders. And so they had the same knowledge base, the same sort of like confidence and that just grow. Everything grows exponentially after that. That's brilliant, Sean. Thanks. Like, that,
3: <laughs> I, 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 like I'm sitting here just thinking to myself, like how many brand uh, events have I had at my venues and had them for, you know, we, anytime we do brand events uh, we invite, of course, everyone who's part of our, the bar family, but we invite all the bars. You know, mm-hmm. I reach out to all my friends' bars and say, Hey, we, we got these guys coming over to talk to us about whatever Mezcal. Uh, why don't you send your team over, or come over if you can? Um, so we all kind of get to raise together. I have never even considered uh, inviting the public.
4: It's a different thing. And it, I, I actually warn brand ambassadors these days. I'm like, you do know you're going to get as geeky, if not geekier questions from the general public as you are from the bartenders. And they're like, no, I'm not. And sure enough, first bourbon seminar. Okay, so what sort of percentage do you put that into the barrel? And the brand ambassador just gives me a glare. I'm like, yep, I told you, man. I told you you're going to yeah. get geeky questions. Like, okay, what's, really? what's, your, what's your mash bill? Where's your corn from? I'm like, <laughs> their questions are as geeky as anything their bartenders are going to come up with.
2: Well, of course, yeah. because these are these are folks you know, these are enthusiasts, like these are people that are doing this of their own time, maybe even taking time, you know, off of their jobs to come and and learn. And, you know, they're you, you don't you don't do that if you're I mean, there might be one person who thinks they're going to show up and like, oh, I'm going to get
4: some free whiskey or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like th- these things tend to weed those people out pretty fast. Oh, hundred percent. And that's how we have built the community. And I can now do an event or a book launch or a thing like when we do Negroni week, because Negroni week is obviously coming back this year with on premise. Mm-hmm. Um, we pack the bar out with probably about 150, 200 people and people are sitting <clears throat> on the floor. General public consumers are sitting on the floor, drinking <clears throat> Negronis, watching our Negroni week cocktail competition in a city of 185,000 people. You know, I mean- like,
3: That's great engagement, man. Like you're, I think that's, that's where it's at. dude. That's incredible. I am like, I'm I'm still sort of like dumbfounded by the fact that I've never even considered (laughs) inviting the public. When I know at my bars, the bars that I stand behind, the bars that regulars come to me, I know that I have some geeky ass nerdy, you know, consumers who would totally come to these things. Mm -hmm. I can't even believe I'm, I feel like an idiot right now. I feel like an idiot a lot. That's not a big deal. Um, but, but about this particular thing, I, it's like it's it's staring you right in the face. How did I never even consider it? Not even a consideration. So uh, moving forward, that's what we're doing from now on. Uh, thanks for that. I'm going to take it from you. Uh, and while I'm dumbfounded and, and ha- having trouble speaking, why don't we take a break and hear from our sponsors yeah. so I can so I can collect my thoughts and get my shit we're gonna, together. We're going to fan Southern off with a towel here for yeah. a second. We'll be thanks. right back. Thanks so much, Sewell. Stand by. <laughs>
1: The Big Food Question is partnering with TD Bank on five special episodes about the resilience of small businesses in the face of a constantly shifting pandemic landscape. We cover avenues for accessing grants, loans, and financial services through federal and local government programs, as well as via nonprofits. We examine the benefits worker cooperatives present to workers, communities, and our food system, and share resources to learn more about operating under this model. We're talking to business owners who started pop-ups and became permanent during the pandemic to see what we can learn. Don't miss these episodes. Subscribe to The Big Food Question wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to TD Bank for supporting this programming.
2: And we are back. You're listening to the Speakeasy here on Heritage Radio Network. Today we're talking with Sean Sewell of Clives in Victoria, British Columbia. Uh, You know, bar manager, uh, author, and TikTok star, and fellow (laughs) podcaster. Uh, You are also part of this this weird little ecosystem of people just making DIY radio. And uh,
4: yours is called the Post Shift Podcast. Talk to us a little bit about that. Um, I started the podcast a, a number, uh, 2019, start 2019. So I'm coming up on 282 episodes this Friday. I'm hoping I've, I've been putting out a campaign to try and get Ryan Reynolds on for my 300th episode. Yeah, I, I saw that. That's, the, that's cool. awesome. I'd really want that. Um, and it started off as like a little cathartic, a little um, putting my knowledge out there as much as I can, because I think that once you go put stuff in a digital I don't like to keep stuff for myself. Once you put it into digital, it's always out there. It's for free and people can use it. Um, So yeah, it's the post shift. So it's supposed to be like a conversation with friends and and mentors. And I've been lucky enough, like uh, Sotha was on it a a little while ago. Um, I've been fortunate enough to sp- ha- sit down with Dal DeGroff and Jim Meehan, like just just crazy industry people for the younger demographic that are just like, oh, wow, you, like I love that episode. So it's always interesting when people are like, oh, I listen to podcasts and I do this and I listen to yours. And I'm like, someone's listening to my stuff. Like- I
3: mean, I listen I listen all the time. I was listening before I was a guest. Um, <laughs> I love the, the ones that I like the best. I was staying off the air. I'll stay on the air too. Sean sounds drunk to me because I listen to all my podcasts on two times speed. So <laughs> talking talking to him at one time speed, I'm like, wait a minute, are you okay, buddy? You having a, <laughs> you having a, you having a stroke over there? Well, um, that just-
2: happened to me when I was a, a listener on the Speakeasy, and then I actually like, you know, I I, I started sitting in on the show and i was just like oh no it's just because i was listening to it at, at you know two times speed and then you know all the guests started bringing in you know we started having the beers at roberta's and everybody started bringing in cocktails in the studio i was like well, maybe it's a little from column a, a, little, from column a. It's, it's, <laughs> a little bit of both it's a little bit of both uh, I but love I, love you, you, I love that you i love that you exactly
3: i love that you're you're you, a you just are constantly creating the content but b i really like it uh sometimes when i go to listen to the show and like three minutes in it's done because it's only a seven minute episode Um, where you just have a quick thing you want to cover, a quick topic you want to rant about, maybe sometimes a quick thing you just want to interject. Um, I love that you have the sort of um, wit and wherewithal to say, hey, this is just a a recap. I'm just going to talk to you for a quick couple minutes about something and uh, you just throw them down. I love that.
4: Yeah, I try. That's the, my, my every Tuesday. I do the post shift shot. Sometimes they're a little bit longer. Like yesterday, just talking about TikTok and brands, like we were saying at the start of the episode. Um, next week, I'm probably going to do something about bar costings and stuff because we've had some changes here in BC that managers need to be aware of. And then Friday is my interview. My interview portion where I, I sit down and chat to someone, and and get their point of view. Um, as soon as I finish this episode, I got to go off to another, a lot, another live stream for an episode next week. So yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun and it, it's always, I'm always grateful for the people that do listen and reach out and I've, it's a value add for my business. And so I've actually got jobs out of people who listen to the, the post-shift podcast. Like people have literally reached out and said like, love your podcast, open distillery. Would you be interested in helping out? And I'm like, yeah, I can, I can definitely do that. Um, So I, I thoroughly enjoy connecting with people. I think I'm going to be really looking forward to once we start getting back to festivals and stuff, because the, the live streams and stuff now, I'm just like, I really just want to sit down and have a drink with you and actually like chin wag instead of it being a little bit more formal. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah. i love to just sit down. I mean, in the room, like that's the thing we've been doing this now remote for, uh, you know, since March of last year, so you know we used to always be live in studio so it's, it's a very different dynamic we've certainly kind of overcome it and there's some great parts about it you know we, we our guests scratched on us today and we could reach out to you really quickly and even though you're in Canada you know like if we were if we were live in studio it would have been a lot more trouble for us to mm-hmm. reschedule someone so there's some gold there's some you know silver linings or whatever but you know what I do and you could probably take this up if you want um I have signage uh on the uh, well I have a something on the menu that, that points people to the podcast uh, at the bar. Uh, and I'm going to implement that at all the overthrow hospitality bars and at Amori Margo. And I'm going to implement this at all the spots. Uh, if you go, when you go in the bathroom, there's signage in the bathroom that mentions the podcast and the podcast is playing on a loop in the bathroom.
4: Oh, that's genius.
3: Yeah, See, you See, we've, we've, t- we we've, 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 we've tipped, for, we've tipped we've, for that now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So you, so you're in the bathroom and it says, you know, check out the speakeasies with, with the, Uh, on heritage radio network and it's playing on a loop. So that's genius. um, Yeah. Uh, It gets people interested in, like you said, then people reach out and start to talk to you and there's, you know, possibilities for creating relationships that could lead somewhere for, uh, well, for frankly, just to, you know, relationships are great, but also it could lead down the road to monetization, et cetera, Mm -hmm. which is always on the radar. Um, So I want to know, you've got a wife, you've got, at least one kid that you've mentioned you've got <laughs> the podcast that you do three times a week you've got the uh tasting show where you taste just canadian spirits which is crazy that you did 365 in a row one, yeah. one a day um how are you sourcing all this That's nuts uh you've got your famed and fabled TikTok. we keep talking about <laughs> um you know I, people ask me all the time uh you know how do i how do i do all this stuff huh? do i ever sleep I'm going to turn it to you.
4: Do you ever sleep? I do sleep. I, I actually get plenty of sleep. Um, I get this question a lot all the time too. Is like, I still sleep seven hours a night. It's just as soon as I wake up to the time I go to bed, I'm plugged in and I'm rolling. Um, that does come with a whole bunch of cons as well. I'm not going to sort of romance hustle culture, but um, that's my personal self-awareness. Um, I am lucky enough that I have a very, like I said, a very understanding wife and, uh, a very understanding daughter. Um, and they both know that, uh, I do it because I'm very, I'm in love with it. A couple of years ago, I tried to sort of take a step back and just work like a nine to five sort of schedule. And it actually made me very depressed that I wasn't sort of go, 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 go all the time. Um, so yeah, I, I wake up and as soon as I wake up, I just sort of systematically break down. I'm not one of these people that meditate or have a morning journal and stuff, which is great for a lot of people. It doesn't quite work for me. So as soon as I like all my social media accounts, all my emails are answered, everything's pretty much done before I even get out of bed. So I lie in bed 15, 20 minutes, bang out all that. So I'm staying the day fresh. And I star a couple of emails and that sort of thing. So it's just, for me, the best analogy I've used is it's like being in a busy bar and you're working the well, the dispense well, and you're just going for chit after chit after chit. And that's, I think a lot of people in the hospitality industry don't try and align those sort of analogies. Like I feel like I'm at a well and I'm making drinks and chit comes up. I bang out that chit, next chit. Bang out that shit, next shit, and it just keeps going on and on like that. And so, if you look at it like that, it doesn't seem so daunting.
3: I mean, sounds don't see that suddenly turns my anxiety cranks it right up. Shit after shit, the <laughs> chits are just keep coming and they never stop.
2: But isn't that why we're working bars in the first place? Is we can't minute, live without that anxiety? Like from the that minute I wake up until up. the
3: minute I exhaustedly fall asleep, <laughs> I just. Man, oh, man, I'm redlining just thinking about it.
2: <clears throat> like I, I do I do sort of feel like the people that self-select into this world love that, though. Like, there is something about... I mean, I've, I've dipped my toes a little bit into the 9-to-5 world over the past few months, and... <laughs> You know, I've had people be like, are, "Are you? Are you okay taking this on? Like, is this deadline okay for you?" And I was just like, "Like, I'm an adrenaline junkie when it comes to work, man. Mm-hmm. Like, I, that's why. That's why I worked in the bars that I work at. Like, you know, I, I, I like being cranked up to eleven. And I know, and I know that it's not good to be cranked up to eleven all the time. And I have to actively work to take it easy. Sometimes I have days where I make myself chill out, and I fucking hate it. But I have to do it anyway." <laughs> Um, but I think that that is something that's kind of in, the, in, in your blood if this is a field that, you're, that you've chosen and that you're really passionate about. You know, I, think, I think you're definitely not alone in trying to um, graft the high anxiety of a busy bar onto a somewhat nine-to-five lifestyle.
4: So yeah, I, I, when I get up in the morning first thing and then I usually try and tie off my day about 9, 9.30. If I'm doing a, a shift at Clive's, I'm usually finished around 10, 30, 11 o'clock um, on the Friday, Saturday nights. And so you start like doing that and it, you can still have a couple of hours downtime before going to bed. You still get up first thing in the morning and roll out and, and get going again. So I I think people tend to not really quantify how much downtime they need or want, and all of a sudden, like you working in like my wife, she has a great job. She finishes work at five o'clock. She'll come home and 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 pot around the house with, with my little one and everything like that. Um, but then she'll watch TV for three hours or three and a half hours or watch a movie or something like that. So I just look at as like, there's so much stuff I could do in that three hours, <laughs> and that's how I do it. And I agree with you, Craig. Like you do need to be self aware and go, you know what. I'm not feeling it today. I need to take a break and step away and, and go sit in, have a cigar or go for a ride on my motorbike or something like that, just to unwind a little bit. Um, But I think self-awareness and and being able to pull off the hustle game is something that's uh, you need hand in hand.
3: I mean, I totally agree. And I think that that's that one variant is often overlooked in the calculation. Like what, kind of downtime do I need and how much of it do I need, right? That's that, that's a very – I don't, I don't think people put enough um, attention towards, including myself now that we're having this conversation. Uh, I would ask, though, like I need downtime because it is in my downtime that I find inspiration. It sounds mm-hmm. to me like you have very little downtime. Where do you source inspiration?
4: Oh, That one I try and circle back on as much as possible, as often as possible. Um, th- I try and find inspiration from – um, the, the people that I work with, it's interesting when you, you, you of get to a level of your career and you're like a mentor. Um, at the end of the day, for me, I get inspiration from the, the guys that I work with, like the, the whole team, um bringing me ideas and stuff like that, like that gets my juices flowing. And while they will be 75% there on a concept, then I'll go, it'll go for something else. Um, I don't really have end games and end goals for my life or my career. I just, I like what I do. I love the process. And so for me waking up and, and going, okay, well, how could I help someone today what what value can i bring to to people today is sort of where i i draw inspiration from i think as an industry person we're all people pleasers so again it it sort of aligns oh i need to make everybody happy um and so how do you do that as an entrepreneur as a as a bartender and and so on and so forth so i think that that people pleasing dna uh is ingrained and that's where i usually draw most of my inspiration from
3: i mean that's that's a well thought out answer man um uh, yeah, for me, it's sort of a little bit of the opposite. I need to kind of be in a room that's silent, by myself, uh, maybe reading something, or even mindlessly scrolling uh, on the internet, uh, and then that's where I'll be like, "Oh man, I have got a great idea that I need to implement in some way that'll help the business, or help my team, mm-hmm. or help uh, you know help my I don't know presence on the internet or whatever." Um, I need downtime so that I can be everything I. Uh, and perceived to be anyway, uh, with with my guests, with my team, etc.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Like I, I can't be. I get what you're saying. How one sort of for you feeds the other, but I need to switch off. Um, and I think that's. I don't know. It's important to be able to figure that out.
4: You know. Uh, and I think that's that's usually the the part that people miss out on is that self awareness is. Uh when you're young, you're trying to apply, you're trying to fit a square hole in a, a round peg. sorry. Yeah. Pe- round peg square hole um, yeah. with with people trying to like, look at other people going, well, I want what they have. And you're like, well, that's, you don't want to work your Sundays. Like you want to sleep in and then go brunching with your friends and then have a Sunday fun day. And that's great. But you can't align your goals with someone who's working six days a week or seven days a week. And so I think self-awareness is way more important to try and teach young bartenders in this day and age than um, making cocktails and, and figuring out the next tincture you want to make and stuff like that.
3: Yeah. I feel like the last, you know, the pandemic has certainly put a fine line on that for me because I feel like there was a point where I kind of crumbled um, because I felt like every single day was a new, um, a new set of rules, a new challenge, a new uh, obstacle to overcome, and, and it really sort of exhausted my creative juices. You know, mm-hmm. I've mentioned before that, like during the pandemic, I made shoes, I made a puzzle, I delivered cocktails on my scooter, I sold Burnett Branca cured salmon. You know, <laughs> like I was all over the fucking map, um, and it was a daily uh, grind that had my brain just squeezed of everything that it had left in there. Um, so, you know, I feel like it, I'm just now kind of rejuvenating from that mm-hmm. um having taken on a new role with within my 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 job um yeah how do you how do you battle the sort of um or do you do you face that sort of fatigue like I'm, I'm running out of creative juice uh
4: yeah actually two weeks ago i did i um i got really tightly wound and Clive's was a lot uh bringing on brand new staff we had uh, with everything reopening I had to hire three new staff members and and do the training and they were very green and a lot of that so I put in 55 60 hour weeks at Clive's on top of my regular work now um so I I really did get to a point sometimes my wife is very understanding but she also knows when she needs to put a foot down and I think that sort of marker is always difficult. Like I have I've got a couple of really good friends, but not in a way that they would step in and say, Hey, you need to you need to step you need to step back and, and slow down a little bit. So my wife whisked me away with our daughter and we went to Kelowna, which is in the interior of BC and and had a couple of days there. And it 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 was only a couple of days, but it was enough just to to unwind me back to maybe 75%. And so <laughs> when when that happened, I was like, you know what? I feel a million times better. I came back rejuvenated. Um, I could have done with a couple more days, to be honest. But um, it was one of those things that I was like, I need to – I'm always proud of putting that message across to people who listen to me on the podcast or follow my social media. But I screwed up and I wasn't watching – I wasn't seeing my signs – and so I need to be more aware of that and take a little bit more time. So this last couple of weeks, I've actually like, you know, what I'm just going to do ten hours a day. I'm just going to take a couple of take an extra out, couple of hours off, and smoke a cigar or. Or watch a movie or something like that. So I'm still doing more. I know I'm. It's ridiculous. I'm still doing more hours than most people think is normal and sane. Well, I was about to um, say anyone
3: anyone listening to this podcast probably wouldn't even have blinked at that. But anyone who's <laughs> in the nine to five world would be like, ten hours is a short day.
4: Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, exactly. You like, know, anyway, so I,
3: in our field, I think we'd be like, yeah, a little half day soul over there only worked ten hours. <laughs> um, you know. But in the, really
2: the speed up there
3: in the, in the rest of the civilized world uh, you know that's a that's already a stretch i want to unpack a little bit of something you just mentioned that i'm facing right now too um you mentioned that you, you had to hire some people um because of you know more opening we're in the middle of doing that too it's very difficult we can't find a, a team um labor market is really tight um people aren't ready to come back to it um, lots of folks left it we looked up some statistics the other day it turns out that um, people uh, generally only spend about three years of their lives in the hospitality sector before they move on to something else, um, as an average. And uh, that many people during the pandemic bailed out on it uh, and went to whatever they would have gone to after that stint, uh, or used their uh, you know hobbies to monetize, or used their a degree that they had to move on to another field, or frankly because of that statistic, maybe they decided that 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 three to five year uh, uh, that that three year stint isn't worth it at all. So didn't go into it. So the, the market's tight for lots of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're hiring, as you said, a lot of green folks. How do you think that's going to impact the next say couple of years um, of the cocktail world? If all we can get a hold of are folks who are just green.
4: I think it's going to be good because yeah. I do, I do, I do believe that um, as an industry, we all, talked about it during COVID that we were going to fix things and talk about work-life balance and and all these sort of different things like I'm championing a four-day work week at Clive's because it's such a beast of a place like I want I don't need my staff burning out um so I but I don't think we did it as an industry I don't think I've heard so many stories of people going back to the exact same way of like a 20 year old kid on the line in a kitchen for 18 hour days I'm like but you don't understand like the industry was broken why are we romancing something that we no, were besmirching before the pandemic and now that we've gone back, we, we had such a massive opportunity and so I've tried to take that opportunity to make it better as pos- as much as possible. Green staff is great because if you have changed your methodologies and your mantras and your mission statements for your venues, those green staff are going to actually grow up and mature and and continue in an industry that we could never have possibly imagined for ourselves when we first started. You know, so there's not going to be jadedness. There's not going to be um, passive aggressive. There's not going to be negativity towards industry. It's It could actually be a massive silver lining that we have this brand new batch of kids who never know what it's like to work a 14-hour shift or never know what it's like to have a chef throw a plate at them right. or like all these negative things that we dealt with. And we were just like, well, that's just the industry. um, But that comes from the top down and owners and managers need to, to get off their high horse about this horrible toxicity that the industry had about, well, well, in my day, well, your day was ages ago and your day should have like things change. We're one of the only industries, in my opinion, in the world that hasn't evolved in our procedures or methodologies or SOPs. And that doesn't make sense to me. You know, romancing what I did when I was 20 years old was, is insane. And uh, a chef saying, well, you know, back in my day, my chef did this. Says, that was wrong then in any other industry. It's way yeah. wrong now. So, Right. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, kind of,
3: it's kind of the definition of progress, right? You think uh, uh, progress is, is not that the guy behind me has to go through the shit I went through. The progress is that the guy behind me has a clearer path because I cut it for him.
4: That's a perfect analogy, you know. And that's the thing is we romance these old days, and I'm like, uh, why? Like, why? I, I and I work. I work a ton. My staff know that know that knows that I work a ton. If my team wants to pick up more hours and do extra hours, I'm 100 percent open for it. But I say to them is like, if you start showing signs of fatigue and burnout and mental health issues, we're going to have a very serious talk,
1: mm-hmm. because.
4: I've given you the option to work a four day week to work your eight, nine hours, like on the busy, busy nights when you hear late closing. But if you push yourself and I see this, I'm going to nip it in the bud.
2: Yeah.
3: That's good. That's being proactive.
2: And I think also this, this goes back to the point that you were saying about how, Oh, your wife was like, you need to take a vacation. I'm, 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 uprooting you and i'm putting you in the middle of nowhere with no cell service for mm-hmm. 3 days and you're going to unwind and i think that that goes to a point that i don't think a lot of people understand is that we are we do not always see the signs of when we are getting burnt out in fact i would venture to say that we are our own worst judges of when we are approaching that red line mm-hmm. and it's important to surround yourself with people you know with 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 family with people you love with partners and with bosses and leaders and employers who will take you aside and say, you are, you are redlining right now. I, I am going to make you take a step back for yeah. you and for me as a person in your life.
3: Yeah. Pulling you out of the game. Um, speaking of pulling you out of the game, we are at the end of the show. It went really, went really quickly, <laughs> <laughs> went really quickly. And I've got more. Oh, I'd love to, <laughs> yeah. I've got more. I'd love to say to you um, and talk to you about, uh, but that just means we have to have you on again, Sean. But in the meantime, Alcan, the speakeasy listener, you on all your various social media
4: this is going to sound a little egotistical and i apologize in advance but i am the only sean sewell with my spelling in the world and i've googled this so if you go to at s-h-a-w-n sewell s-o-o-l-e on instagram you can find me there and so um it's kind of insane it's kind of insane that i'm the only one with my spelling in the world but i think it's kind of cool as well was also the
2: only person over the age of 35 with 90,000 followers on TikTok, so you can find him that way, too. You're the
3: oldest oldest TikTok star out there. (laughs) Um, Well, thanks so much for being on the show, Sean Sewell, uh, and taking time out uh, on such short notice to hang out with us. Uh, That's another thing I wanted to talk to you about is I know you and I both have the problem of saying no to people, Um, but that's that's for another show. Uh, So uh, thanks again for spending some time with us.
4: This has been awesome. It's actually I, I look up to you guys quite a lot, and you know, your show is something I listen to regularly. So it's been a bit of an honor to be on the show. A little fanboyish. Oh, <laughs> pleasure uh, well, to have you, man.
3: It goes both ways, brother. All right, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Speakeasy. Uh, check out network dot org. Find more shows just like this one. Uh, you can also find ways to donate to the to the show and to the station as well. We're a nonprofit, so it's your money that keeps us on the air. So thanks, everybody. Cheers. Here's. So you don't shun the devil with your rock
0: and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The runs once is grooving, them, rhythm and blues that sound.
2: It's gonna get you some the air.
3: The Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter.